comics are old. Really old. Comics are so old that you'll find hard candies growing in the shelves of comic shops. If comics had mouths, then they'd have eaten 678 billion spiders while sleeping. And the world would be better for it. There's also the issue of the number of comics that have been made. It's lots. Stupid lots. More comics have been printed than the number of beard products Robin uses. There are more comics than I have neuroses. If you piled all the comics ever printed on top of one another, they would tower so high not even Amy Garvey could climb them. But I can climb anything! This means comics can often be complicated and off-putting. Trying to get into comics can be like trying to watch a play. We all nod and smile and pretend we understand so that we don't look dumb. And there's often the need to have an ice cream just to get through it all. But using our hyper superpowers of research, editing and making stuff up, we're here to rescue you from your ignorance. Now no one has to feel like they're at a play. I'm Adam Sharif. I'm Robin Harmon. I'm Michael Eckett. I'm Amy Garvey, and we are your tutors at Comic Book Classroom. The podcast which condenses comic book history into a fun format to help you find your way through the maze of comics. This time on Comic Book Classroom, we'll be studying Black Panther. Wakanda forever! T'Challa of Wakanda, the Black Panther, was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby for Marvel Comics. First appearing in Fantastic Four number 52 in July 1966. Making the Black Panther widely credited as being the first black superhero in mainstream comic books. Only 28 years after the first superhero comics. The Black Panther is the chief of the Panther tribe in the African country of Wakanda. It's a ceremonial title that symbolises T'Challa as their head of state and protector. Like if Queen Elizabeth was also James Bond. In his debut, T'Challa invites the Fantastic Four to visit him in Wakanda and then attacks them when they arrive. He's not a villain, he's just trying to test how strong he is now. And he's so strong now, he manages to fight off the entire Fantastic Four! For a while anyway. It's still their comic, so they eventually get the better of him and he backs up and explains what's going on. Panthers are like, read Richards and family. Your childish dabbles with science amuse me. But your combined strength has shown me what I need to know. And now I trust you are competent enough to help me stop Claw. Claw is this racist dickbag scientist who likes to steal stuff. He's basically the James Watson of the Marvel Universe. He uses sound to hurt people? Like a nightclub? Which means he's less effective against anyone over 30. So what about me and Amy? You have energy in the morning and you can sleep for an entire night without needing to get up to pee. You're fine. Claw needs to steal vibranium from Wakanda to power his machine. But in doing so, he ends up fighting T'Challa's father, T'Chaka, whom Claw murders in front of an adolescent T'Challa. Claw's return, when T'Challa is an adult, is what prompts him to call on the Fantastic Four. And of course, they manage to defeat Claw, because not only are the FF pretty strong, but the Black Panther also has a bunch of cool powers. These powers are given to every Black Panther. It's like he inherits them. In my family, the only powers I inherited are the powers of bad knees and alcoholism. But then, I didn't get to eat the heart-shaped herb that all Black Panthers get to eat. Welcome back to the Secret Wakandan Bake Off. We may be far more technologically advanced as a society, but even we can see when someone has come up with a great TV show. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. I'm twee and soft-spoken. And I'm just edgy enough so that you can watch a baking show ironically. 
Sometimes we talk like this because it makes things feel more elephants. Join us as 12 new warriors are braving the contests of the tents. Warriors? I didn't think it would get that violent unless someone's brought out a box of pre-prepared cake mix. And a good thing too because those aprons wouldn't deflect any swords. The contestants have scrolled their way through the signature round, hands cramping and covered in ink. Then they got more technical than a vibranium handling manual. So now they're giving themselves altitude sickness in the showstopper round, making multi-tiered cakes. Right, T'Challa, what are you making for us? I am assembling a five-tier cake, each tier representing one of Wakanda's grid tribes. It will be enrobed in a delicately flavoured buttercream and decorated with representations of the past Black Panthers. And what will the Panthers be made of? Royal icing, of course. Are you using any flavours in the cake? I will be highlighting a different Wakandan fruit within each layer and icing will utilise a unique heart-shaped herb. Interesting choice there. What does it bring to the dish? It has an extremely bitter taste, with a faint aroma of bile. That's a bold decision. Why on earth would anyone eat it then? The heart-shaped herb gives those who consume it superhuman strength, cat-like reflexes, and enhanced senses. Sounds fabulous. I could do with some of that strength. It's getting harder and harder to do all my beating these days. Haven't heard your husband complain yet. Oh, no, no. You do not get to eat it. Only the Black Panther is permitted to consume the heart-shaped herb in its processed form. To do so would be treason. Unless you are prepared to challenge me in hand-to-hand combat to the death. I don't think so. Wait, so we can't eat it? Won't this make judging His Excellency's work more difficult? I don't see how. Plenty of the other offerings are frequently inedible. Jack Kirby has gone on record as saying that part of the reason they created Black Panther was because comics had a bunch of black readers who didn't see themselves reflected in Marvel's characters, and he wanted to create someone they could relate to. But the country they create is from the imagined Africa of two middle-aged Jewish New Yorkers. So, whilst their hearts were in the right place, Black Panther is not the most authentic cultural representation. So, it's kind of like when your family knows you like comics, so someone buys you a t-shirt that says, Wolverine is one tough dude, snickety-snicked bub, and you have to weigh up offending your family or being one of those people. No... It's more like when you're allergic to dairy and your friend makes you a sandwich, but they put a Native American headdress on it. But Black Panther was popular. Not long after his debut, he joined the Avengers, and then in 1973, he got a solo title, Taken Over Jungle Action, with Don McGregor writing. And after a couple of issues, McGregor and pencilers Rich Buckler, Gil Kane and Billy Graham create not only one of the most important Black Panther comics, but one of the most important Marvel comics of all time. Panther's Rage is a 13-part story published every other month. It was the first ever self-contained multi-issue story arc. We'd had ongoing serialised comics before, but never a long-form story broken up into multiple parts. It's basically what we look at now as a story arc. One story with the characters moving in and out, with subplots that evolve and are resolved at the denouement. They're clearly still figuring it out, though. Sometimes characters disappear for a while, and there's this very heavy exposition to remind readers of who they are once they return. It's like they're not quite ready to trust that readers will remember something from a few months ago. To be fair, I'm a comics reader, and I barely remember where my feet are. 
and they ensure the necessary jungle action is fulfilled in each issue by having Black Panther fight a wild animal. There's a succession of issues that open with Black Panther killing. A rhino, a crocodile, a wolf, a gorilla, a dinosaur. And whilst we are firmly against the murder of any animal... Even one that writes bad things about you on the internet. Seeing T'Challa single-handedly defeat these huge creatures makes the comics feel epic. It sets him apart from every other Marvel hero rallying around New York. It'd be far less impressive if an issue of Spider-Man opened with him fighting a particularly irate pigeon. The story itself is an epic where T'Challa returns to Wakanda amidst political strife. His people and his advisors are annoyed with him for abandoning them and going to America and also bringing back an American woman. To take advantage of this is Killmonger. Nidajaka is a Wakandan refugee whose father aided Claw's attack on Wakanda. Nidajaka's father is killed, and then he is exiled to America. Where he adopts the name Eric Killmonger. You know, to help him fit in. Whilst Black Panther is off with the Avengers, Killmonger plans to avenge his father's death and rid Wakanda of white colonial influence. There's definitely a subsection of Wakandan Twitter who share all of Killmonger's articles. He sows seeds of dissent. He throws Black Panther off of the top of a cliff. Stop me if any of this sounds familiar. Killmonger recruits a band of social outcasts to help him take down T'Challa. Zombie-like Baron Macabre and Lord Carnage. The heavily mutated mind-controller King Cadaver and the strong and agile killer Malice. As well as Venom with two M's. A man who had acid thrown into his face as a teenager, and so then he decided to befriend some snakes and become a snake-themed villain. Comics, where acid to the face can lead to any kind of gimmick. Following this run, there was pressure to add more white characters to the book. Because white people can't stand to be left out. So, in the next story, Black Panther returns to America and fights the Ku Klux Klan. This story ended abruptly, and that's partially because Jack Kirby was taking over. Jack's stories and art style are big and overblown. They're this in-your-face, sincere sci-fi which Black Panther had shied away from since his introduction. We'll certainly cover Jack Kirby's work in detail another time, but for now you can learn your fundamentals rather than your fun and mentals. The series opens with T'Challa using King Solomon's frogs, mystical relics which can shift time and space. It's a good thing they're not living frogs, or T'Challa would have had to wrestle them at the start of the issue. The frogs pull a future version of T'Challa into the present and create an alternate timeline. I guess that is a bit more realistic than Black Panther stamping out racism in America. In 1998, Christopher Priest relaunches Black Panther with a focus on statecraft, T'Challa's role as a king, and interactions with US government and the UN. He faces many threats to Wakanda's sovereignty. Actual threats, not nonsense about the shape of bananas or the colour of passports. To help him in these threats, Priest and Mark Tashera introduced the Dora Milaje, the adored ones, the all-female personal guard of the Black Panther. It makes Black Panther the ultimate liberal leader, relying on a group of black women to do all of the work. And they also brought in the most useful character in Black Panther's cast. Wow, Black Panther, you sure are kicking their butts over there. <laughs> no need to respond. But if you need anything, I'll be over here. Yeah, Black Panther, just call me if you need anything. Who are you? US State Department envoy Everett Ross. I'm Everett Ross. <laughs> just wanted to help Black Panther. But I'm... Don't worry, Black Panther, I'm here if you need... Oh, hey guys. Let me guess. Agent Ross. Agent Ross. Agent Ross? We can't all be Agent Ross. Why not? We all want to help out, right? Nice job, Black Panther. 
<laughs> You're doing a swell job, buddy. Don't we all deserve to be the most helpful character? Me, Agent Everett Ross. I do love being less racist than the guys he's punching. It basically makes me the hero. What are you guys doing? An Agent Ross sketch? What, all of you? We wanted to do something. And it's not like we can voice anyone else. So you decided to run a sketch where all three of you are Agent Ross whilst making Black Panther silent and in the background. Can you see a problem with this? I wanted to be Agent Ross. It's not the most 90s comics comic book, but it is maybe the most 90s Black America comic book. Finally, someone with real black experience is writing a full run of Black Panther, and the language being used, as well as the perspective presented, is a revelation. Peter B. Gillis and Dennis Cohen had previously created a four-issue miniseries in the 1980s. Highlights of Priest's run include Killmonger resurfacing with a plot to destroy Wakanda's economy, which forces T'Challa to nationalise foreign companies. Killmonger then defeats T'Challa in ritual combat thus inheriting the role of Black Panther. But he goes into a coma after trying to eat the heart-shaped herb. There are many interactions between Black Panther, Namor and Doctor Doom, the heads of the other Marvel nation-states. The goddess Bast was previously who the Panther clan prayed to, but Priest introduces Bast as a real entity, one who watches over the past Black Panthers in the Kingdom of the Dead. Maybe it's just me, but whilst I find the idea of an afterlife comforting, the thought of it only containing everyone who ever did my job, with my boss still watching over us, is incredibly creepy. Just a bunch of people who only had work in common? Not even being able to talk about watching the same TV shows. Yeeks. Priest's 62 issues are seen as a seminal run on Black Panther, not just because of the length, but because of the way Priest marries everything that came before. T'Challa is the man who could outsmart and outfight the Fantastic Four, with the regal air and problems of leadership that McGregor introduced. Meshed with the superheroics of his time in the Avengers, and gadgets and wackiness of Kirby, and on top of that he added and expanded Black Panther lore. At the end of the run, T'Challa stops being Black Panther again due to a brain aneurysm, but he magically gets better just in time for Reginald Hudlin and John Romita Jr. to swoop in and return Black Panther to Wakanda. This is the run which introduced Shuri, T'Challa's half-sister. Shuri had always coveted the mantle of Black Panther and planned on challenging her uncle to become ruler, only to discover that T'Challa beat her to the punch. And kick. And claw attack. T'Challa does train her in hand-to-hand -hand combat though, and she becomes a skilled fighter. One of the key elements of this run on Black Panther are T'Challa's relationship with, and eventual marriage to, Storm from the X-Men. Storm gets to marry an incredibly smart, handsome and caring king, and T'Challa gets to be the lucky one in the relationship. And another key element is developing the history of Wakanda to highlight that it has never been invaded. Nothing gets into Wakanda. Not colonists, not scrolls, not anything. Hello, operator. Steve, hello. We do not use operators anymore. I guess I'm still adjusting. Uh, how would that even work with the satellites? Isn't that some swell gal up in space, flipping switches and moving doodads? There haven't been any ladies in space since the 1980s, Captain, so how can I assist you? You haven't responded to my party invitation. It's, uh... I have received no invite. I emailed it to you. You haven't responded. The invite's a little shield and you send it back to me. Let me look into this for you, Steve. Okay, goodbye. Now, how do I...
Computer, show me my emails. You have zero messages in your inbox. This cannot be. I cannot be ignorant of those who would try and contact me. What is in the spam folder? Spam folder contains 6,038 messages. You are kidding. Today. How can this be? Nothing can breach the great Wakandan firewall. But I must be able to receive correspondence. Wakanda shall never be invaded by mailing lists. Never shall we be breached by unbelievable offers or this week's hot gossip. The defense of our great nation against phishing will never falter. Let me assess some of these messages. But they are clearly spam. Computer! As you wish. A Nigerian prince has requested your aid. Yes, I know this man. I know him. This is a thing I must assist with. Really? Yes. Oh, then you have a lot of emails. Past help me. Would you like to go through them? Yes, I would. A debt collector from the World Bank. This is real. Supplements to grow bigger. This could be from Dr. Pim. A recommendation to subscribe to Hawkeye's Tumblr. Which Hawkeye? Clint Barton. Keep that one in the spam. Not content with being the bossest king of a country, we have a period where T'Challa shows up other heroes by taking over from them and doing a much better job. He and Storm replace Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman in the Fantastic Four, and then he briefly takes over the mantle of Daredevil. But he gets a taste of his own medicine when Shuri takes over the mantle of Black Panther. T'Challa sticks around as her advisor until he meets Bast, and she proclaims him King and Black Panther of the Dead. Was all of his earlier rhino killing a long-term plan so that he could eventually command an army of ghost rhinos? Sadly, we'll never know, because shortly after this, the Marvel Universe was destroyed forever and replaced with a battle world where wars happened in secret. Except they weren't a secret, because it's all Marvel wanted you to read. Black Panther commanded some zombies and then sent some Wakandans into space. It was a thing. A thing we'll hopefully tell you about someday. Recently, creators Tanahasi Coates and Brian Stelfreeze launched a new Black Panther series, which Coates continues to write. It focuses on Wakanda as a world of sci-fi technology, which functions as a society that has remained isolated from other parts of the world. T'Challa is back as king, and there's a focus on political strife, but the descent is African-centric, rather than caused by the threat of invaders or T'Challa's relationship with America. It's Wakanda's history and its relationships with its people and neighbours that are called into question, as well as the very notion of the monarchy. And that's a brief history of Black Panther, the only superpowered scientist king who fights both dinosaurs and reassists with the opinions of dinosaurs. This episode of Comic Book Classroom was written by Michael Eckett and Amy Garvey and is produced by Robin Harmon. Music was written and performed by the Sheridans. New episodes come out monthly and you can subscribe to them on Apple Podcasts or your podcast supplier of choice. For more information and to see what we're up to, you can find us on Twitter as at Comic Book Class, on Instagram as comicbook underscore classroom, and you can email us at classroomcomicbook at gmail.com. Join us next time on Comic Book Classroom as we discuss the entirety of the Avengers. <laughs>